Today on Launchpad, step one, have a good idea. Step two, become a millionaire. Uh, we're here with Norm Hedges, uh, who a uh, little bit of backstory on that is uh, we were, or I was invited to be on a, a panel uh, at the library to speak about patents, and it was myself, a bunch of patent attorneys, uh, a guy from the tech industry, and then Norm here, who is a, a, a teacher at, um, is it Purdue? No, I'm a uh, professor down at the uh, law school in uh, Bloomington. Bloomington, shit, yeah. mess that up. That's right okay. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Purdue guy. I've got a degree from Purdue. I was just up there last week. <laughs> I knew you were associated with Purdue yeah. in some way, shape, or form. But anyway, so it was uh, it was a bunch of really dry attorneys, a tech guy who was also a little on the dry side, me who is not at all, and then Norm who also provided a lot of color to the panel. And I don't think if if we were there, it would have been a real really really boring event ip and patents uh, can can kind of steer in that direction sometimes yeah so i'm was... glad we could uh, make it a little livelier <laughs> than it might otherwise have been exactly so why don't you yourself a beer and okay. uh, i'll continue to ramble on for a minute right. but it was uh it was you can let go you don't have to hold on to it that's kind of the magic of the dispenser yeah magical and um but anyway uh the, the the way you were on the panel it inspired me to invite you on the show because you feel like you were uh, not only full of, go ahead and pull it off, full of great information, um, but you know could present it in a way that people could digest it, which is rare when it comes to patent law. I found that patent attorneys are really good at not answering any of your questions <laughs> ever. Well, I try to uh, teach my students that you have to appreciate who your audience is, and if you're uh, not talking at their level, then they're not, not going to get it. So uh, I try to teach my students that and give them an opportunity to, you know, not spouting off, you know, technical jargon and, and, <laughs> and statute numbers and that sort of thing. Because people's their eyes glaze over and they just don't get it. You've lost them. So, yeah, it, exactly. I couldn't agree more. Um, I don't understand any of it. So I can speak on the lower end because I am on the lower end pretty easily. Why don't you, uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Normally I'd ask you about your background, about how you got started in business. So sure. No, it, uh, actually, I mean, it's the, the path to kind of where I ended up, where I'm at now. Um, it was, uh, certainly wasn't uh, well planned out and, and thought out of well in advance. I, uh, perfect. Found myself, uh, getting an engineering degree at Purdue. Um, I had worked for uh, general electric for a while and, uh, I was co-oping there and I had come to the conclusion that, uh, I didn't necessarily want to be a corporate engineer for the rest of my life. It just didn't seem like that was the kind of thing that I wanted to do. I'm the kind of person that likes to know a lot about a little, or a, a little bit about a whole lot of different things. <laughs> I know exactly. Okay. I know exactly what you're saying. And uh, so um, I started thinking about what I was going to do after I got my bachelor's degree. I thought about getting an MBA, but I'm not really that kind of business, you know, go-getter like you are. Um, and I uh, <laughs> uh, looked at med school. That was like eight years. I was like, there's no way I'm doing eight years. Um Thought briefly about getting a master's or a PhD in engineering, but again, you're, you're getting so narrowly focused on technologies. I was like, that's not for me. And I, I just literally, I stumbled across a patent attorney out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I'm from, asked him what he did. He had me in his office and one day he's working on a pump. The next day he's working on some new sort of flashing for building materials. And, and like every other day he was working on something different. And I was like, this is what I want to do because I get exposed to all these different types of technologies. And I pay my, I tell my students, I was like, you know, as a patent attorney, you get paid to learn about other people's stuff 
because they have to get you up to speed on what they're doing. It's like it's being just, paid to watch how it's made, right? Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. And uh, so, um, so I stumbled across that. Uh, went to a law school down in Bloomington. My friends at Purdue were like calling me crazy. Like, what do you mean lawyers or engineers going to law school? That's nuts. And I explained to it and then they'd get mad that I was going to IU and I was like, Hey, look, I use a good school. You know, you find another school that's uh, rated that high. Like drinking, right? Yeah, and if you're in state. Yeah. So, um, so that's how I, I, I did that. And, uh, at the time really, and, and, and pretty much to this day, um, you graduate from law school um, as a patent attorney. You go to work for a law firm, um, and I was in the law firm environment for uh, about 20 years. Um, and then I was approached to uh, uh, start up this IP clinic um, down at the law school in Bloomington. Now this intrigued the hell out of me. So by all means, get go deep into that one because that's that's really cool. What yeah. you guys are doing is cool. So I did that for a couple semesters as an adjunct. Um, so it was basically part time. I did that with a couple other people, and uh, the law school approached me to see if I wanted to do it full-time and I, I I'm not sure they if they did it uh, uh, just as a courtesy because I had been doing it and they'd offer it to me first or whatnot I think they may have been a little shocked initially when I said yeah I'm interested <laughs> um, and uh, and I and obviously I was um, and I interviewed for the position and I got the position and uh, there were really kind of three reasons I did it um, I love mentoring students mm-hmm. um, I really enjoy doing that hopefully you can pick up on the fact that I like to talk to people and explain about what I do absolutely uh, and that's that's why you're here thing. in the first place yeah, yeah. and uh, um, the other thing is, is I have a real passion for startups and entrepreneurial folks. Um, it was very frustrating for me in my big law firm practice that I re- didn't really, it wasn't, they aren't really structured to service people like that. Not even remotely close. My, ex- my experience has been exactly that. They're, they're not, they're, they're there to do your law. Right. And that's really it. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the, uh, the, the no, third. Not, not a lot of guidance. And the third reason that was, too, is that a lot of times um, I, I find the whole inventions mission corporation people, you know, you see it, you know, midnight or 1 a.m. or 2 a.m., you know, they're 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 charlatans they're, uh, they're out there to make a buck and they don't really, really care bad, what you get it's so bad yeah and so uh so i'm at the clinic um and we provide free uh legal services to um to startups and other other companies that are of uh, um lesser financial means and um so we get to we I get, haven't spent any time in a free clinic like that <laughs> well they're fairly new um because <laughs> pro bono clinics um, typically are kind of more on the, the social justice side of things, you know, protective orders, uh, um, landlord, tenant, SCDs. disability laws, that sort of thing. And really this whole idea of, of, of serving more transactional clients, the ones that are, you know, starting up businesses and, you know, getting IP and that kind of stuff. People are like pro bono. What do you mean? And I'm still fighting that battle to this day. The, the, the second you say pro bono IP, they look at you like, what do you mean? That, that doesn't exist. That isn't pro bono. I'm like, well, it's free legal services. And if people are going without uh, protecting their rights because they can't afford it, and to me, this, it falls squarely in in the pro bono arena. And our, our end goal is, is to help clients that can't afford IP services. Mm-hmm. So they come to the clinic. My students help them under my supervision, and I have a couple other adjuncts that help me. End of the day, your work product is just as good as it would have been had you hired me a year ago when I was at Figory Baker Daniels here in town. Um, at what, nine nine hundred an hour? Uh, my rate at the time was about four hundred fifty an hour. Oh, you're a steal of yeah, a deal. Yeah, I was a steal yeah. of a deal here in the Midwest. Um, but uh, but uh, so yeah, so we're out there to do that. And my goal is to get companies from the point where they can't protect their, they can't afford to protect their IP, mm-hmm. to we kind of fill a gap where they, they can't afford it because we're free. I want to get them to the point where they can afford to hire IP counsel. 
Um, and that's our whole goal. And we've had a couple of success stories on that front. We've had some clients that, uh, because of our services, they've been able to kind of get some funding to go out and hire um, and pay for legal services, which is our goal. Um, or, or can you talk about any of those companies? Um, not really too much in, in, in uh, detail, but the one, one of the clients, um, they, uh, we filed a patent for them. Um, and within the year, you have to file or to, to convert your provisional patent application into a, a non-provisional patent mm -hmm. application. They got some funding. They got a grant. And I'm, I'm pretty convinced that the reason they got the grant was because they had a patent application on file. And with the grant, they were able to turn around and, and pay for legal services. And I've had a client that's, that uh, we've had a client at the clinic uh, right now that has been in the opposite direction. They initially got some really good funding up front, went out and tried to secure their IP. The, the funding went away. Um, and, and they basically were in a situation where their IP was going to go away because they couldn't afford the legal services and they, and they, they, they ran into us and now we're able to kind of fill that gap again on the hope again to get them to the point where they can again afford to pay legal counsel. So, and we do all kinds of IP. I, I'm, I'm a classically trained patent attorney, um, but we do trademarks and copyrights and uh -huh. IP agreements and all that, all that stuff too. So how do, what is the screening process like? Because I... I try to give back as much as I can. I try to mentor people as much as I can. I get a lot of really, really bad ideas from people. And I am nice enough to tell them that that's a really bad idea most of the time. Because, you know, that's how I learned that I had a lot of really bad ideas. Right. Telling me. That's, that's great. Uh, um, I, I try to uh, teach my students and, and exercise this with my students, too. I call it tough love. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, if, if you're not upfront with somebody about what, what your professional opinion is on things, you're not doing them any good. Mm -hmm. You're just letting them going down a path that you think is going to lead to failure. And they're just spinning their wheels and wasting their time. We don't really want to work for those clients either. Because again, our, our goal, in addition to providing free legal services for people that need them is I, I want this to, these to turn into successful businesses that hire people, create job and spur economic growth. Um, so what we do, um, on that front is, is we have some partnerships with some, uh, local entities, um, the, uh, uh, Purdue foundry. I don't know if you're familiar with the foundry up at Purdue. It's an entrepreneurial service. They, you know, I've heard there. about it a couple of times. I've, I've not been there nor heard much more than I, there's a foundry up yeah, they they, they are awesome. uh, they're an entrepreneurial the service provider heard. where they coach people on mm -hmm. on how to be entrepreneurs. So they feed us projects, um, and other service providers across the states to, do too, like the Indiana Small Business um, um, Development Corporation, the University of Southern Indiana. They feed us projects, and because they have been vetted through those folks, we get to avoid some of the people that just come up with the uh, come up with an idea and think, hey, look. I've got a patent it. on this and people are going to shower me with money, <laughs> which is ridiculous. I mean, you, you, you know that. I mean, you've got patents and, yeah, and people just was, aren't just showering you with I money. I thought with that at one point in time, like as soon as this is patented, I'm going to be rich. Right. That's the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Um, Actually, to that point, and not to, I, this, it's, this whole sure. thing is going to be on track. I, I, I enjoy talking about patents in this whole process because it was a huge part of what I did and, and how I came up. Um, I mean, so... To everyone listening, all 10 of them, um, I had a good idea. Now what? What do you do? If you have a good idea, what do you do? Um, what we do for people is we, again, we, we the, the, the referral works both ways on our part. Mm -hmm. You know, if they come into us and they don't have a business plan in place or we get the sense that they don't have a business plan in place, we, we push them back out. We say, hey, get a business plan in place. 
go talk to these people. It may, if it's, it could be a great idea, but if you don't have the, the business sense to back it up, it's just going to be a piece of paper. I just gave that talk at Inventors Club. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, if your idea doesn't make money, you don't have a good idea. It's right. not worth patenting because patents are expensive. They are. They're, yeah. they're painfully expensive, yeah. um, as, anyway. as, you know, as you, you know full well. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's terrible. So, yeah, an estimated $130,000. Is it $130,000? It might be more than that. And, and just translation fees for all of our patents abroad. Right. And, and uh, this year, just that, this year. Next year, it'll be another one. That's one of our uh, metrics as to whether or not we think one of our clients need our services anymore. Mm-hmm. If our clients get to the point where they're making foreign filing decisions and they're, and they're thinking about <laughs> paying for it, but they're like, you don't need us anymore. You need to go hire somebody uh-huh. to do your work for you. So that's, which is fine. We, again, we consider that a success. Um, it used to be in my old practice, you know, if you lost a client, you know, that, that, that was kind of bad. I mean, you felt bad about it, but to us, you know, if, if, exactly. If, if we lose a client, we, we think that's great. Um, because we think they've kind of moved on to the next chapter in their, in their, their fledgling development, um, to the point where they can afford to pay people to awesome. do, do their, their IP work. So step one, business plan. Yes. Yeah. Do you guys offer business plan guidance? We don't do that. Okay. Uh, another, another thing I teach my students is like, you got to know your boundaries. You got to know what you're good at. You got to know what you're not good at. Um, and I've seen people, you know, cross that line. You know, maybe they're, they're desperate for work or they don't want to admit to their, their client that they don't know everything. But that's not a bad thing. I tell my students, you know, call time out. Say, hey, look, this is not my area of expertise. I know a guy that does this. You know, you need to go talk to Josh about this because he does this kind of stuff. This is his sweet spot. Go talk to Josh. Um, and because, know what you're good at. Best right. advice you could ever give exactly. an entrepreneur. Yep. Yep. So, and, and it, it applies with the, uh, in, in the legal, legal, uh, area too, because if you're practicing Probably applies across the board, it right? Does. <laughs> yeah. You don't want a, a, you know, a, a, a orthodontist, you know, working on your liver or something like that. Yeah. Um, no, that's so, a really terrible. Yeah, idea. yeah. So didn't want my ex-wife taking care of any house plans. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, Everybody has their limitations. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> know your limitations and, and, and fess up to them. And I, and I think you, gra- you gain a, uh, credibility with your clients when you do that. It, I couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. Uh, so business plan, now, now what do we do? Uh, you get your business plan in place, and then um, we'll go ahead and file your IP uh, for you. Typically, in, in, in most IP, you've got a year or two before you, you make it, have to make any hardcore decisions. Um, so hopefully, now do you make them form a company before they file their IP? Or they do don't, they don't have to do that. Okay. Um, a lot of times they have already done that, um, but they don't have to do that if they want to own it, own it individually. We, we, we typically recommend they do that because, um, as you know, there are some benefits to having a corporation in place to kind of shield you from liability, your personal assets yep. um, from your business liabilities. So we recommend that and we make the same recommendation when it comes to IP. Yeah, if your invention causes cancer in lab rats 20 years from now, you have never been tied to it. Right. Personally. Right. So you're never can right. never be personally liable. In exactly. This you so. don't want to mix and mingle your personal assets and your business assets. So no. we encourage our clients to if they don't have an entity form to form one, get their IP over there. Because if they don't and sometimes people want to hold on to it. I mean, I get that. They want to hold on to it because they like the control. Um, but yeah, we recommend the they right don't brothers do that. how that worked out. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not so good. So uh, we rec- we do recommend they do that. Yeah. So so uh, now you've so you filed your what, your PCT, right? 
Uh, depends on how you want to go. Um, have you taken Have you taken a patent all the way to it being issued? Or uh, not yet, but we're getting close on on one of them. We're going through the uh, examination process at the patent. Oh, office. nice! So, so usually they get funding or they get abandoned before before it makes it that far. Yeah, usually um, they will uh, ha- have a sense, and and because our services are free, you know, they're talking maybe a couple thousand dollars in government fees to get mm-hmm. it all the way to the end. And the patent office that is, sounds the, nice. well, it, well, and the patent office has done a nice job too. And actually Congress, you know, to the extent Congress plays nice together back when they did the American Invents Act a couple years ago, one thing they introduced was this thing called the micro entity status, um, which is basically um, individuals and very small companies. They get a 75% break on the patent office fees. Really? So by eliminating the legal fees, which are like, 95% of the fees and and reducing, you know, that five, you know, that little 5% of the government fees by 75%. At the end of the day, you can get a patent through the patent office for, you know, I think around 1500 bucks, which if you're not willing to invest 1500 bucks in your business, then you, you, you don't, you, you don't yeah. need to be in business. Mm-hmm. So no, our, my initial retainer was that. Right. Uh, it was yeah. <laughs> bonkers. Yeah. Thanks dad. <laughs> Seriously. He was nice <laughs> enough to put that cash up. Uh, he says I don't say it enough, but I really do appreciate it. Yeah. So um, awesome. What, what's the well? Can you talk about the coolest thing you've seen come through? Um, yeah, I think the coolest thing we've we've seen come through um, is a, essentially a immunization record for infants that goes with them, and it's applicable in third world countries. Goes with them. Goes with them. It's like an under the skin. No, it's essentially a band that uh-huh. they wear that as you go through the immunization process, you indicate which immunization uh, uh, you got, you received, or the, the, the child received. And because it's a band, they wear it on their ankle or their, their wrist, and it's with them all the time. So unlike here in the States and other, you know, uh, fairly well-developed countries where you, you go to your pediatrician to get your records, the records travel with them. Hmm. So they don't need, you know, files and electronics and that kind of stuff to track their immunization record. They're, they're wearing it as they go through the process. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's a great idea. Yeah. So. What's the dumbest thing you've seen? Uh, dumbest thing? Oh, every once in a while we run across somebody that'll come in and they'll, and they'll figure out that these, these, our services are free. Mm-hmm. And then they get in themselves the, the, the mentality, oh, well, free patents for all. And so they, 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 they literally like dump like five ideas on you and say, hey, can I get patents on these? And that's when I push back and say, hey, do you have a business plan? And sometimes you'll get this, you know. Dude, that business plan must just work great. It's got to work great to just get them out of your hair. It does. The second they, I mean, it's so hard to write a business plan. Right. Which is completely worthless in the long run anyway. But I mean, you have to get it to get your mind around what you're doing. I reckon everybody should have to write a business plan. And the best part about it is once you're done with it, it's worth about its weight in paper. It really is. <laughs> but at least you've thought, out, thought it you, out you and, and, you, and you, yeah. you've seen what kind of skin you have to have in the game, yep. how long it's going to take uh-huh. before you even, you know, start to approach anything that looks like a profit um, and that sort of thing. So I still haven't done it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so at least, at least forces these folks that look at these, you know, uh, you know, free patents for everybody um, mentality, it forces them in that go. And I, I have yet to have um, 
anybody come back to me uh, with that business plan who, who comes up with the whole, you know, here's five ideas, help me get patents on them thing. Yeah, I bet so, you can pick them out pretty quickly. It is. Know. It's pretty easy. It's yeah. pretty easy to pick them out. But it's kind of our nice way of pushing back a little bit and, and uh, forcing them to think it through a little more and, and to see that there's a lot more involved in, in you know, being successful than, than uh, getting a patent. And again, you know, getting a patent doesn't mean you're going to be successful. I mean, it's just one little tool in your toolbox um, that may or may not, you know, be helpful. Yeah, well, I mean, the like the guy that invented television, he that his patent really didn't help him at all. Right. RCA really just kicked his ass. I don't remember the guy's name, but poor guy. Is it Farnsworth? <laughs> yes, Farnsworth. Yeah, yeah. yeah thank you. Yeah. Farnsworth had a shop uh, about uh, four or five blocks from my grandparents' place in Fort Wayne. Oh, so, really? Uh, yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So, yep. Yeah, no, his story was relatively tragic. I mean, uh, and uh, so we, um, have you had to defend a patent? Um, no, I've never had to defend a patent. That's more on the litigation front. Um, I don't do the litigation side of things. I, I obtain patents for um, clients. Sometimes I'll tag patents. Uh-huh. Um, the patent office has a new process that um, uh, it's kind of quasi litigation. Patent litigation is painfully expensive. I mean, you're talking seven figures for Bonkers patent litigation. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we have people infringing on our patents in other countries, and everybody's like, well, why don't you sue them? I'm like, well, because it's really expensive. And yeah. I mean, if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to take them out with commerce, which is the best way to go about it anyway. I mean, really they're just helping me sell my product at this moment in time. Right. And we'll go in and we have better processes and we can make it cheaper and faster and I'll just sell it for under cost until they're out of the market and then take them over. I mean, right. there's other ways to go about this. You take over so, the distribution, the distribution network they've, they've conveniently established for you now. Yeah. You just, you got to so. think about it a little differently. You can tie something up in court for, well, years and years and years and years and you, years. You can, and, and the uh, the patent office has come up with a new process yep. um, that you can essentially attack the patent keep me on track. at the patent office. Um, I do it with my students all the time. <laughs> Woo, here. Um, I, I need this in my regular life. So, <laughs> but uh, but but it's 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 still expensive, but it's not as painfully expensive. It's a lot faster. They've got to so, get it turned around in a year. So what is it? It's called an inter-parties review. Um, where essentially one party um, puts in front of the, pa- the patent office an argument that, hey, you should not have issued this patent. The patent office turns around and looks at it, and if they think your case has merits, they'll pick it back up. And then again, within about a year, year and a half time frame, they'll make a determination as to whether or not the patent should, be, should have been granted or not. And it's really, really cut down on uh, not necessarily the amount of litigation, but it, it the the litigation if it starts, that's almost one of the first things a defendant does, evaluates their case, takes it to the patent office, and it gets resolved a lot faster and a lot less expensive. That is the the way of, of patent litigation is going now. Is that's through nice. that process. Because so, I mean, I mean, a, you'd have to be a relatively technical person in the in the first place to to know whether or not a patent was infringed on. So a courtroom may not be the best setting to even decide these things. Right. No, I mean, you know, these are, this is the patent office. They're, they're not scared of patents. Yeah. Um, like uh, a lot of district court judges in, in the federal courts. So it seems they, like a strange thing. You'd almost have to have a specialized court to defend patents because it's completely different. Well, they do, but they don't, you don't get to it until the appellate level. So you, you get to the fed, the district court, your local federal court, and they hear the patent case <laughs> And they have a special appeals court that will hear that determination. But that judge, I mean, in, in the course of his, you know, 20 or 30 years on the bench, he may only see, you know, 10 patent cases, yeah. you know, one every year, maybe. 
And so, you know, they don't necessarily like it, like them all that much because they're very, very time intensive um, on that front. So they, uh, they I, I think they much prefer to, to take it to the patent office, have them figure it out. And then once the patent office figures out whether the, the claims of the patent are valid or not, then come back here. And, and we'll we'll let you duke it out some and more here. It out. Yeah. But it, it reduces the number of issues that you're dealing with. And and uh, we I was involved in a case where uh, we had a client that was a defendant, and we were successful in taking out a couple of, of patents that shouldn't have been issued. Um, and uh, the patent office agreed with us. And really, how long have they been issued? Uh, they had been out for I think uh, four or five years. And mm. and the and the the patent owner had been out threatening people, and uh, they finally got around to suing our client on it. And our client went through this process uh, with 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 us, and we were successful in, in taking out those couple of patents and, and uh, getting a very good result for the client. So, huh. well, that's good. And ter- I, I sympathize with both sides very deeply. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, I I you know having uh you know when you're on either side of that, particularly you know because if you're a defendant in a piece of patent litigation. You're going to lose because you're either going to, you know, lose because you're actually infringing the patent was valid. You're going to, have to pay all these kind of damages. Well, even if you take out the patent, you're still going to lose because you're going to have to pay your attorney for all the expense and time just to defend yourself. So really, being a defendant in a piece of patent litigation is kind of a lose-lose situation. You yeah. may you may win at the end of the day, but you're still looking at hundreds of thousands of dollars in defense costs. Yeah, it's obscene, absolutely obscene. Although my my patent attorneys are always game to just go to court anytime <laughs> like let's sue them i'm like no no todd I'm, well i had one I'm of my uh see them <laughs> i i was telling my students um a couple weeks ago that you know you don't always want to be the most aggressive ip owner out there and i was explaining to them actually the, the craft beer arena see i'm not at all and it boggles people's mind i'm very passive when it comes to infringing on other yeah. stuff but anyway carry but on. the uh, but the craft beer industry my understanding is is that you know you know everybody's got their own their own uh brewery name and all their different beers that they come out with they name they, they name um name them well inevitably you're going to have names that, that are duplicative of each other you know yes. some guy in seattle is going to have a beer that has the same name as some guy down in florida and the craft beers, most of them understand this, and and they're like, hey, you know, we've got one called that. Would you mind not mind not doing that? Now? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know about it. You know, and they're cool about it. Well, I think it was Sun King here in town that um, got a nasty gram from uh, I think some brewer out in Boston or something like that. And that's just not what you do in that industry. And you know, it got around, and so all you know, the craft brewers that found out about it are like, you know, those guys are really kind of pricks out there, and and so they kind of got a bad rap on it. Um, so I told my students about that. And one of them actually sent me an article just uh, over the weekend where apparently um, uh, in Boston, the word hun is, 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 is big out there. Like, you know, hey, hun, you know, yeah. like short for honey or whatever. And there was a business out there that got some trademarks on H-O-N on that. And they had a cafe and that kind of stuff. Well, they, they got, I won't say overly aggressive in it on it, but, but too aggressive to the, to the point where the, the actual the community started to turn on the owner of this trademark because it was like they were trademarking kind of a Boston word, you know, and trying to prevent people from using it. And people turned 
on this business as a result of it. And it was just an example of how people could be too aggressive, oh, you be not too aggressive. fully I think unappreciating. The Olympic committee started doing stuff like that too, coming down hard on, on people, people that and, like people naming their businesses the Olympic whatever, like in the Olympic. Because I'm from you know by the Olympic Mountain Range, right? Like you right. can't you can't be named the Olympic Hotel and Lodge. Well, well I think the, it's uh, the Olympic Mountains, man, come on. <laughs> the NFL went after a church here in town for hosting a Super Bowl party a couple years ago, and they got they got they got kind of you know some bad rap on that and so since they've 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 loosened up on that too so yeah you could you can take it too far yeah um and uh it's like within the spirit of it come on right you know it's right. not well you know you're, you're you're damaging your brand by going out there and, and being too aggressive so it's also so when i one of the happiest days of my life and this sounds so counterintuitive was when i found out that somebody had ripped off our design and was making it in Romania of all places. Right. I was like, this is so fucking cool. <laughs> this is the coolest thing everybody, everybody in the room's like, what are you talking about? They're stealing our ideas. I'm like, our ideas are good enough to be stolen. <laughs> They're that good, man. People are taking them from us. Copying is a serious form of flattery. Flattery yeah. on the planet. And then I, I, was, I went to a trade show in um, Germany and there were all told, including our dispenser, were four other bottom-filling beer dispensers. One was the direct copy, which you should have seen the look on their face when I walked up. And then there was a Korean company that who got real close by not inf- and not infringed on anything, but it's still not that great. Mm-hmm. And then something that another company, a top-down company, was uh, making to try to have something new and innovative, right. which was really cool. It was just it was fantastic. So it's a it's it's a great it's a great thing when somebody starts copying your idea. Or can be, I can suppose. Be, right. <laughs> it could go the other way. Yeah, you know, it could. I mean, if you're too lax in enforcing your IP, then there there are issues there as well. Yeah, because they. Um, uh, what is that called when um, if you don't enforce it, it's uh, you don't care and you basically let go of the rights. Right. You wait. You basically are kind of waiving your rights. It happens a lot more on the trademark front, where um, yeah, I can't trademark what owners. Is, what is it called? Uh boy. Let's see. What's the fancy legal term? For really that? on the spot. Here. Um. That's true. Let's see here. Uh, it's not a stop. You just make uh, anything up. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember some fancy Latin term. It's a for fancy it. Latin term. Yeah, so or you don't care. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can. It happens in the in the trademark arena. When uh, I had a client once where we got a, a nasty gram from uh, the Ideal Corporation yeah. out of Chicago. What do you call those uh, little things that you use to connect uh, uh, wiring? residential wiring with uh wire nuts yes they have a trademark on that term <laughs> so what <laughs> yeah exactly i had no clue either um and uh but yeah they so they think they own you the use of the term wire nuts and they want you to call them electrical connectors um, that's a pretty all-encompassing word yeah so like channel locks or it is a channel locks kleenex, like channel locks. Yeah. kleenex huh, uh, i didn't know wire nut was a wrench. trademark or a, a trade name i didn't either so huh. but, uh, huh. now you know <laughs> electrical connector there's so many different kinds of electrical connectors though huh anyway <laughs> um so you guys do a lot of trademark stuff because that was one thing when we got started was what do you I mean what do you do you feel like when you're just getting started you feel like you need to own everything like oh we had a good idea for this and we should probably trademark this name and we should probably the, do uh, all this stuff and patents are usually the critical one mm-hmm. because um, uh, most most countries um, unlike the U S if you don't have a patent application on file before you basically release or publicly 
launch or disclose your product, you're, you've waived your patent rights. Um, trademarks and copyrights aren't that way. Um, there are benefits to having... Uh, no, hold on, back up. You, mm-hmm. you said that once you've publicly displayed your idea, you've waived your patent rights. I thought you in had most, somewhat in, of a grace period. You do in the U.S. Okay. Most foreign countries don't give you that one-year grace period, they call it. Is it one year? I thought you had to have the PCT in. I thought it was months, and then you had to have a PCT. No, it's... Um, if, if you want protection, like in Europe, Japan, China, those, you actually have to have your patent application on file before you make any sort of like public disclosure or, or lose control of the technology. They, sometimes they talk about mm-hmm. that way. If you don't, then you waived uh, your patent rights in those various countries. The U.S., they give you one year from that, what they call public disclosure, to get a patent application on file. The U.S. and Canada are kind of unique in that way. Um, but most foreign countries don't even give you that year. You have to have it done beforehand so is there do you recommend doing anything so once you've had that a good idea because what i mean we did I, like i googled the shit out of everything and we did it all like i mailed myself a a, a drawing of it so i had a, a certified letter with it yep idea sent it, you know i did all the things i could do you recommend doing that stuff or? no uh okay. no the 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 whole Perfect. idea the whole the whole idea of mailing no yourself your yeah, no you don't the whole idea of mailing yourself um something is to establish a uh, kind of when you came up with the idea, um, that used to be important uh, in the uh, the old, under the old law. Under the new law, it's irrelevant. Under the new law in the U.S., it's whoever gets to the patent office first. Somebody okay. can't steal your idea and run to the patent office and beat you to it because they wouldn't be an inventor. But if two people independently come up with the same idea, let's say you came up with it first, mm-hmm. and and for whatever reason you 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 know delayed a little bit and get to the patent office, somebody else came up with the idea after you did got to the patent office before you did you lose yeah they have what's that called they have a um, priority date they or? have priority over here it's called first it's the called the first to file system now it's the first person to file at the patent office it used to be what's called the first to invent so under your old scenario that if you mailed yourself it and you were and you were working diligently on it um maybe the other guy was working more diligently than you are but as long as you were working diligently on it because you were the first to invent you would win the day after some painfully expensive litigation to see who came up with it first. But they've done away with that. Because it was so painfully expensive sometimes to figure out who came up with it first, now they just look to see who filed first and who were filed first. And that's wins. it. That's it. That's pretty so, common, right? Yeah. yeah. So, and it encourages people to get to the patent office and file sooner rather than later. True. So I uh, so when, when we started, I thought that you had to have actually made something work in order to have invented it nope doesn't have to no, work that's not correct no at all. you don't have to don't have to have a prototype um all you have to do is have enough information in the patent application to allow somebody to look at your document and to make and use it so it doesn't have to be perfect doesn't have everything doesn't have to be ironed out um it just you just have to have enough information in there to allow somebody else to look at the, the patent application and to use use your invention so I'm not, I'm not understand that. So you have to have enough information for somebody to be able to basically make your idea from your drawings and information on the piece of paper. Right. They, so you, and that, I don't well, get why, it. Why would you ever do that? <laughs> yeah, I don't well, get it. Cause that's, that sounds it's, really, it's the really given, counterintuitive. It's, it, it's the give and take that the patent office has come up with. Or yeah. Actually the, the federal government's come up with the, the whole idea behind um, uh, patents is, is that they're trying to encourage people to get this information out there rather than to kind of hold it tightly behind the scenes and it never get out there. So what they do is in exchange for you revealing 
how that you you make and use your invention for disclosing the kind of the the, the secret sauce and what it makes it tick and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You get monopoly for twenty years. After the end of that twenty years, monopoly's gone. Anybody and everybody can do it. So it's basically a twenty year monopoly in order to get you to put that information out there. And then once your monopoly is over, you have to have provided enough information to let people use it. I guess that makes sense. So that, that's well. Plus, if you're going to do anything with it anyway, somebody could just copy the device that you're making. They could, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So most technology, I mean, uh, anymore, not anymore, but most technology, yeah, you can pick up the device and figure out how it works. There's some of them that you know, uh, you could try to sit there and reverse engineer it all day long, and you couldn't figure it out how how, to, how it works. In that situation, a patent probably doesn't make sense. You may be better off yeah, holding that's, that information uh, as a trade secret. Propri- yeah, trade proprietary yeah, or trade start, secret. Yep, yep. Yeah, like we have some production processes that are trade secret. We right. If, if somebody can't figure can't out. Can't take a picture of this. If somebody look looks, picks up the glass and can't figure out how you did it, then why put that information out there so that when your patent runs out, people can do it just the way you can? Yeah, they do, we do that with uh, some circuitry too. We just uh, we uh, pot it. So you can't, right. I mean, if you took it apart, you would you'd never destroy it. Yep. Yeah. You'd destroy it. You'd right. never know what was in it. Yep. So awesome. That's great advice for everyone. Um, what, so what is the class that you teach? So, um, what I, because you run this program, but what is the class? Well, that is the class. That is the class. That That's is the great. class. So it's a, I, I tell people it's basically, I have a small law firm. It's where a vocational all the attorneys, class. Really? Exactly. Yeah. The fancy educational term. It's experiential learning. Um, it's basically, it's basically, uh, working with your hands. Pretty what vocational you learn in school. It is. <laughs> it patents, is. Yeah. It is. It's vocational well, school awesome. for for well, IT. There needs attorneys. to be more of more emphasis on in this country. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, I, I think there does. They, we've. Uh, um, I, I think as a society, we have uh, devalued um, a lot of uh, uh, skill sets, um, and uh, perhaps and and. Uh, you know, uh, Mr. McRobbie, don't hold this against me. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think there may be an overemphasis sometimes on, on getting a bachelor's degree um, that you don't necessarily have to have that to do certain skills, skill sets, you know, that are, you know, I, I think yeah, I was the an industrial electrician that makes one hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. Like that's um, right. Yeah. yeah. No, that uh, I think uh, my older brother was the first in our family to have gone through college. And, and you know, we, we were, you know. Uh, never hurting for a meal at our table, even though neither of my parents had a, had a college uh, degree because, you know, they were good hard workers and they were good at what they were doing and, and yeah. that sort of thing. And I, I think there's there's countless jobs out there that do that. I mean, we're hurting for welders and people like that out there now because, you know, people have kind of devalued or looked down on some of those professions. Yeah, and, which is and, absolutely insane. Like, yes. It, no, I... I mean, I'm I'm a really good welder. Yeah, I, I would love to know <laughs> how to weld. So I'll have to I'll have to you have to come over and and, uh, and show me a, at least a little bit of how to make a really 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 bad weld. I can it's I can definitely do that. You should, you, you're welcome to come by our shop anytime and mess anything up you'd like to. It's, we it would be fantastic. So, yeah, but um, let you run the milling machine and the lathe too. So uh, yeah, so my class is 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 my little law firm that I run. Uh, the students they have had uh, um, they've received training in the classroom on intellectual property before they come in, and then they get to take that what they learn in the classroom and actually apply it. To How projects. much of a reality check is that for them? It's a lot. It, it's it's the some of the concepts they have in, in the class. You know, don't necessarily what they think the way it works in the classroom is not how. You know, it actually works. I mean, everybody everybody knows that. I mean, until you actually do it, uh-huh. a lot of times you don't actually, you know, have the whole picture or, or what you thought you knew was not quite, you know, the way it is because you haven't actually had 
to do it. Yeah, especially when you have to work with an inventor who's a whack job to begin with anyways, right? We're all a little crazy. So. I, I, and that's that's the other thing. Uh, the, 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 other, the other thing about this whole process with the students is they get to interact with the clients. Yeah. And, you know, you know sometimes... It's got to be one of the best there. part of the learning experience. Well, it's, I, I, really, I really take pleasure in, in watching them progress, you know, because a lot of times the first person they'll come in, they'll start talking about Section 102 and Section 103, and you can see that the, the inventor is just looking at her with her eyes glazed over. I have no idea what you're talking about. And I say, Hey, you know, uh, Chris, would you, you know, would you mind explaining to them what section 102 is and what section 103 is? And, you know, two or three, you know, client interactions later on, they're not talking section 102. They're not talking section 103. They're saying, well, first thing is, is that your idea has to be new. You know, nobody's done it before. Mm-hmm. And, and then the next biggest hurdle is whether or not it would be obvious. Oh, you guys must break so many hearts. You guys so, break a lot of hearts. We send out some heartbreaking letters and stuff where, you know, yeah, your idea's already been out there and, uh, you know, or, you know, it's not quite out there, but these are these are a couple of these that are nibbling at the edges and we think this is what a patent examiner is going to do and, and reject it, which, you know, it's probably a little deflating um, for uh, some clients to do that because I think they came up with this great idea and it, you know, it's not a bad idea. It's just that somebody else came up with it first. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, at was, the same time, they've saved, you know, three or $4,000 by not having to go through the process. On the bright side. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> I don't know if they always appreciate dreams. that. But but you saved a couple so, grand. Yeah. Well, and it also teaches my students how to deliver bad news. Yeah, that's you true. You know, everybody likes to deliver good news, but, you know, you got to, you know, you gotta, you know, have a little soul to, you know, <laughs> deliver bad news sometimes, and they, and they you know, that's terrible. So, yeah, that was the most intense. Uh, that was the, probably to date the most intense part of my journey was doing the patent searching, mm-hmm. like you, search term. <laughs> Click anything there? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> it was so, just me in a case of bush light. Yeah. Just, <laughs> going running through go, everything. Go through. It was great. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Google, the Google patent search is actually, do you find, do you guys use that at all? Yeah, we use uh, Google just in general. It's mm-hmm. pretty helpful. I think the Google patent's a little clunky still. Um, and so I think they, they got some things to work out there. But uh, but Google is absolutely awesome when it comes to trademark searching, uh, when you're trying to figure out whether or not, you know, the trademark that somebody wants to use, whether or not they're stepping on anybody's toes. Um, or not by using it. I mean, you imagine you just type in the name and immediately it does, stuff and, comes it, and up. well, and it and it finds the stuff that's that's similar to it as well. You know, there's a lot of trademarks out there that are just kind of misspellings of other words and that kind of stuff, and it finds that. Did you sort mean of things exactly? <laughs> exactly. That does that to me every yeah, day, yeah. only because I'm a terrible speller. I'm a terrible speller too. <laughs> it's not logical enough and consistent for me to be good at it. I'm just, just, I, handy capable. <laughs> Um, is what I am. Uh, so you deal a lot with inventions. Are you much of an inventor? Uh, it turns out that most anything I ever come up with was done back in the 1930s. I am one of those people that does the searching and their hopes and dreams are crushed, uh, by finding that some dude in the thirties came up with it already. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm not much of an inventor myself. So. But you have come up with things. I have come up with that things. That were invented in I the thought, 30s. I thought I came up with this great idea. So scrub my, brush shoes my, and... 
Well, my phone cord kept getting tangled, you know, because I don't know what it is. I think you, you must pick up your phone one way and then like turn it down another or something, and that's what causes pain of it my existence, yeah. man. Every day. So I came up with this. You awesome me there's idea. an invention that there is. This? I came up with this awesome idea that you could put a swivel on the cord so it would actually, you know, naturally unwind itself and it just wouldn't wind up. So I, I come home. I think this was during law school. I tell my wife Amy. I was like, look, I came up with this great idea. She's like, I've got one of those at work. Smash, crush you. But sure enough, I did. A little search they've been around since like the 30s so but uh yeah i'm gonna say that's a pretty standard problem to have to you don't stop don't stop believing no yeah no i i come up with i come up with stuff i just never pursued any of it so i used to say uh i used to say all the time it just takes that one good idea it just takes that one good idea i would talk about it all, all the time anytime i was at a party or with my friends it just takes that one good idea guys it just takes that one good idea man was i wrong i mean you have that one good idea, and then you got to file for a patent, and you got to write a business plan, plan. and you got to find the money, and then you got to con people into helping you, and then you got to—it's miserable. <laughs> and also, I mean, super gratifying. You have to have fun watching people do it. I mean, and being part of it. Oh, I—that's—that's I, that's another reason I like working with the uh, the startups is they're so they're so enthusiastic about what they're doing. The stupid cup leaks. And. Um, uh, I, I enjoy their enthusiasm. Uh, I've worked some, or some, done some patent work for some very, very large corporations, and their engineers don't really want to, you know, they're, they're not all that excited about, you know, working with you because they kind of see you as, you know, a cog on the wheel, and, and they're just because, you know, the, the corporation. We don't really wants celebrate any wins. That's just the, it's, it's, we could have filed the patent. Right, exactly. Part of the process. Yeah, yeah. And, and you have to harass them and stuff. And, and uh, usually with the startups, it's the other way around. You know, they're they're kind of pestering you about, hey, what's the next? Hey, slow down. It's okay. You know, we just filed it. You know, <laughs> you're not going to hear back from the patent office for a while, which is fine. I don't mind. Patent attorneys are great about keeping on top of things. Well, I think maybe that, maybe that was a really general statement. My patent attorney is really great. I'm assuming you guys are also Yeah, you really have good. to be. It's just yeah. one of those practices is that if you if you miss deadlines on things that that you it's, really it's mess shit un, up. it's unforgivable. I mean, there, there are a lot of things at the at, with the government that if you miss a deadline, you know, the solution is to pay more money. Mm-hmm. You know, but with a lot of things in patent law, it's not that way. You miss a date, you're done. We uh, that's not true on all of them because I just paid a big old something or other to, to I can't remember what it was, and it probably wasn't just. It was a while ago. Was it in Brazil? Maybe I don't know. But we we paid. We missed it, yep, and we paid a bunch of money, money to fix to it. extend yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are some extension of time things. But the U.S. that's can. not a thing. I mean, there are certain areas you can, but there are other things that if you miss the date, it's not, it's not fixable, and and the, and really, really, really bad things happen. And attorneys don't like it when bad things happen, and they can be, and it's, it's clear. Who's at fault? Uh, <laughs> yeah, because because somebody dropped the ball. Exactly. Very clear. And uh, you know, most good patent attorneys will have you know not only their their calendars of things that need to be done, but somebody else will also have a calendar doing and, and monitoring it. So you know, if that attorney happens to get sick or you know just happens to you know not be paying attention or whatever, somebody will remind them like, hey, you know, remember you got this due in three days. You know, you on that? And you're like, oh gosh, I've been so busy doing other stuff, I didn't you know didn't realize it, and then and then you get on it. Yeah. Um, so that's we, we one seem of the to do everything last minute. I'm not sure we haven't we've done anything before the exact day of the deadline. It's, right. It's kind of nice. Is that a Josh thing or your attorney thing? It's definitely a Josh okay. thing. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I don't know if the attorneys have kind of fallen in line with it, but it also helps cash flow. Yes, it does. It so does. It might be part of it. It's mm-hmm. a little bit of neglect, a little bit of cash flow reasons. I train my students on how to uh, work with clients like you. <laughs> 
So uh, you just have to appreciate How is that? that. Well, you, you have to appreciate that uh, you know some clients may uh, require uh, you know more reminders than others. I require a lot of and, reminders, and you and you come up with unique ways to hopefully you know get them to you like know the little act. red exclamation point yeah. on emails. I get that Josh, a lot. In all caps, you know. <laughs> And I, and I tell them too, is, is that, you know, all your clients are different. They all have different communication mm-hmm. styles and you have to know what your clients like and kind of, um, you know, uh, customize your communication with your given, you know, your different clients, you know, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe you're the type of client that, uh, you respond to text messages. I would definitely respond to text messages, but Todd does not text me. Well, and, 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 you know, but you need to adapt to your clients yeah. and it works both ways. I mean, uh, I understand that nowadays, you know, the, uh, the, the early 20s that I'm, uh, students I'm working on, most of them are in their early 20s, you know, between 22 and 25 or so. And apparently voicemail, they just don't do it. And no. they don't set up voicemail boxes. My voicemail boxes. says, if you want me to respond faster, text me. Yeah. and uh, But, you know, on the flip side, if you're an attorney working with clients, you have to appreciate that, you know, you may be working with some 50 or 60-year-olds. That's how they communicate. So you have yep. to be prepared to know how to leave a voicemail message. <laughs> And that sort of thing. But at the same time, you know, if you're a Which is super easy these days. It's it's not difficult to leave a voicemail message uh, for some people that are, that are trained in it. But, um, but, you know, some people are email people. Some people are voicemail people. Um, some people are, are text people. Um, and you just kind of have to adapt to, you know, what your client's per- preference is and figure out, you know, gosh, I, you know, I've got this deadline in two days and Josh isn't responding to emails. What am I going to do? Well, we go ahead and text him because that's what his voicemail says. And so, Hey Josh, this is, you know, your favorite patent attorney. We've got this thing to do. I would really be nice if you could let me know today. And, and hopefully in, in, you know, like, Oh wow, this is getting pretty serious. He texted me. So maybe I better respond. <laughs> that's, so. That is, that's wonderful. Um, the, so I, I get, so my patent attorney a lot asked me in patent jargon, what I want to do a lot. And then I get him on the phone and I'm like, what would you do? And he's and like, well, this, this is what I would do. And I'm like, well, do that. <laughs> I, I, well, I mean, what, I counsel what do you want my, me to say? I counsel my students to put their clients in the best position to make what is a reasonable business decision on the client's behalf. Yeah. And I try to avoid making decisions for clients like the plague because I don't want to make the wrong decision. Well, he doesn't. That's a, that's an attorney thing there. Yeah. Um, he he doesn't make any. It's he the makes same he, thing. he yeah he gives you, he gives thing. you a recommendation yeah. and says look if you if 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 you go this way this is what's likely is going to happen if you go this way this is what's likely to happen and this would be the more cost effective or that kind of stuff so he kind of he kind of gently you know nudges you over to this is exactly and, and yeah. it's it's really wonderful yeah. the way it works out yeah. but it always comes down to him just really telling me what he would do and right. yeah, it's pretty great yeah but um but yeah so. Patent, you say you're a general, general patents. What does that even mean? Because I, I know there's specialties. There are specialties. Because our, our patent attorney is a medical device patent, and it's the closest thing we could find to what we had invented as far as a specialty. Yeah. Because we, we, we wanted a specialist. Yeah, usually when you specialize in, in patent law, you're specializing in certain technology areas. So you, you may be a, a, a PhD chemist. Mm-hmm. So you're going to be doing, you know, small molecules. Um, or you may be a life science guy. And so maybe you're doing larger molecules like proteins and that kind of stuff. Enzymes, kind of the, the large molecule thing. Um, and then you'll have like, I'm a mechanical engineer. So almost everything that I used to work on was, was mechanical in some way, shape or form. There'd be some electrical your, stuff your in there. Your 1920s. Inventions. Exactly. Coming yeah. up with those sorts of things. So, um, and then you got the double E's, the electrical engineers, 
that are out there doing, you know, kind of more hardcore circuitry thing, maybe even getting into the, uh, the software and, and, you know, that, that sort of thing. So that's typically how it falls out. The problem is, is that you can't really focus necessarily on a, on a particular industry. Um, your patent attorney can do it in medical devices because there's such a wide array of medical devices that are out there, mm -hmm. but it would be very difficult for me to specialize all my practice on, uh, door locks right because there are only so many door lock manufacturers out there and if you're representing one and you turn around and represent another one well their ip is going to cross eventually it's just going to happen i pick up what you're putting down yeah and and you can't have that so you know conflict of interest exactly as yeah. is, is that uh you may be pulling punches for one client on behalf of of another one and mm -hmm. patent attorneys try to avoid that like the, the plague as well um, representing two different clients in the same technology space inevitably there's overlap as there's so many technologies that overlap you know a big thing now um, or has been actually for the last five or ten years is tracking with RFID you know tags and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff um, you know there are all kinds of people are in that space um, so you're gonna have overlap in that area but maybe it's only for their, their particular technology that's utilizing that so you can't really avoid that but it doesn't make a lot of sense to avoid to represent two you know door lock manufacturers because they're going to cross paths and you know eventually and um you know and realistically one's going to be upset that you're doing the patent work for the other one well yeah i mean i would be yeah like if i found out our attorney was working for Perlick or Micromatic. I'd be like, what the right. shit, dude? Yeah, You're exactly. You're my patent attorney. Exactly. Jealousy. <laughs> yeah. It's not okay. Pat, patent attorney envy. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah. So, you know, so it's not unusual for, um, uh, at all for patent attorneys to get specialized in certain technology areas. They won't usually get um, uh, specialized in a particular industry. Have you had somebody come in and be like, this is over our head. You got it. Nope. We won't touch that. Over our heads as in... Like somebody bring an idea to you, you guys review it, and you guys just be like, hey... Typically, if you're in a big enough mm -hmm. shop, you're going to have somebody that has uh, an expertise mm -hmm. in that area. And again, getting back to, way back to early in our conversation, the other beauty about being a patent attorney is, is that if you do not know exactly what's going on there... Your inventor has to educate you on it and get you up to speed on it. So, mm -hmm. again, you know, you're paying me to learn your technology, um, which is absolutely awesome. So, that is really cool. Yeah. Uh, so. Every day at school is a day at school. Yeah. That's great. So, you said, I don't know if the mics are on when you said it, but you uh, you brew beer? I do. That's awesome. I've never brewed a drop of beer in my life. It's, it's, which is uh, shocking to even myself. It's, it's very easy. It's, uh, it's as easy as it's just, it's just like, I've like made making, it's like making bread, <laughs> uh, but you just use a lot more water. Oh. So I've never made bread either. Oh, well, then maybe <laughs> brewing beer is not your so they thing. Make a, but, I know uh, they make a, they make an automated, uh, beer brewer i saw that online just like yesterday yeah it's really yeah, cool like a it's, like for the, beer. it's like the oster three-speed bread maker for beer Bear, exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah if you're ever interested in doing it though it's actually easier to make wine than it is beer yeah so you know start by making some wine which is painfully it's got booze easy in it, i'm down to try to yeah. make it so and then once you get comfortable doing that then you and there's all kinds of different stages you can either go to uh uh, all extract, which is basically open this V8, you know, can, you know, tomato juice can size of thing, dump it in a pot, bring it up to a boil, stick it in a carboy, big fancy name for a water, a water, um, 
bottle, big water bottle, and uh, throw your yeast in there and, and let it do, it do its thing, and it's done. That's as simple as it gets. And then you can go in, in between that and what's called all grain, where all grain is you actually, you know, you crush the grain and you, and you, and you put it in there. I do, I, do, I do what's called brew in a bag. I think some of the guys that think that, that I had are some good. friends do that in juvie. Juvie, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do that juvie too. I don't recommend that. But Ketchup uh, packets yeah, and yeah. orange rinds and stuff. stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's one way to do it. But uh, that's fairly simple too. I mean, I think it is. I, I and I enjoy doing it. I mean, it's 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 uh, just it's a hobby. I mean, yeah. like like anything else. So. It's something I I really want to do. I re- I just need to do it. Yeah, I got to do it. I mean, I think I could figure it out. I I know how to dispense it better than anyone else on the planet. I'm pretty sure I'm gonna make it. It's gonna taste like shit. <laughs> you know. My first batch of beer I actually made uh, in anticipation of my 21st birthday, and uh, I made it at my folks' house. And they live out in the middle of nowhere, and they have well water. And the amount of iron they have in their water must be off the charts because I made that stuff, and it was absolutely awful. <laughs> it tasted like a big rusty. It, it nail. did. It was just absolutely <laughs> terrible. I mean, I, I it's the only beer I've actually ever poured down the drain because it was unconsumable. It was that bad that's pretty bad it was because i i I pretty much drink any beer you you put in front of me but uh it was that bad on this uh on this little adventure i've been on i of the same mindset never never dump out a beer so like when we first invented it we'd be done and the first one was a pitcher filler so you'd fill up the pitcher okay and then we would try to drink the whole pitcher like i can't i don't even i don't even imagine how many years behind we are compared to where we could be if what we were dispensing was something other than beer because of how drunk we would end up we'd we'd have it working perfectly and then by the by you know like 1 a.m i'm calling my wife slurring you got to come get me and there's beer all over the ceiling and nothing works anymore we're gonna start all over again in the morning uh, you, you may have had some more of your creative moments uh, uh definitely, in those situations definitely they say booze is the creative uh fuel and then coffee's the get it done fuel, fuel. i have that i have that meme or whatever <laughs> on my on my office door headed into my well office but but yeah um what else i mean what else do we need to know about patents uh well i touched on it a little earlier um patents are kind of the you know you got to get those things filed sooner rather than later Mm -hmm. otherwise you're going to blow your rights trademarks and copyrights not so much um trademarks uh, once you start actually using the trademark out in commerce you're going to start you know uh, uh garnering some rights in it um not as good as the rights would have if you actually file with the trademark the trademark office at the at the uspto um, but just by using them, you're going to start getting some rights in them. Copyrights automatic. You put you put pen to paper, you know, uh, brush to canvas, whatever you're creating code or whatever. The, the copyright is automatic protection. Um, the 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 benefit of registering a copyright with the uh, the, the uh, Library of Congress is that it gets you into the court system. So if you happen, if somebody starts copying your copyrightable subject matter in order to get into the court system, you actually have to have a registration with the copyright office. And there's certain other uh, advantages when it comes to the damages measure of damages um, that you're due uh, by having a registration. But again, it's but it's not like if you don't file your registration for copyrights that you're you're giving up on your rights because you're not. They're How do automatic. you prove that you wrote something before somebody else? You have you go back to see when they first had access to it, um, and that's how you do it. It's usually on the other guy's side to see how they came up with it um, hmm. and where they got it from. That's 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 where the proof comes. That's got to be hell when it comes to music. I don't know how they do the music thing. I mean, I can't remember who was it. Uh, um, 
was it Sam Smith here recently that got rung up for knocking off somebody's rift uh, that was from like, you know, 20 years ago or something. I, I don't know how those guys do it because, you know, there could be some Aerosmith rift that's just way in the back oh, of yeah. my line. Oh, buried deep in your brain. Yeah, that I, you come up with this rift and you're kind of like, oh, that's I like the way this sounds. And, well, it's because you like the way it sounded 20 years ago. And, <laughs> you know, how do you – I don't know how you vet that stuff. I'm, I'm sure there's some algorithm out there that somebody's come up with. Yeah, to some programmer this, figured but, it out. But, uh, yeah, I, that's – Copyright really is a quagmire when it when it when it comes to a project because there's so many different layers of of, of copyright on um, ownership of the, the lyrics, um, the, uh, the 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 performer, you know, the recording, and and all just there's so many layers to it that it, it's it's a quagmire. Yeah, it, so I wouldn't want to defend it. Well, I was going to say on top of <laughs> all of that, uh, one of the uh, greatest uh, Christmas movies of all time, um, uh, Elf. Not, no, it's a wonderful life uh, lost its copyright at one point. And I know that you were talking earlier about how, you know, you, you pretty much with a patent have to file it immediate and you have to be first to file. Um, but copyright's such a weird animal in the fact that somehow they lost their copyright. Well, another, another one of the up. reasons that copyright is such a quagmire is because there's different sets of rules depending on when you came up with things. So like right. it's, a, it's a Wonderful Life, it was under one set of rules. The latest version uh, right now is the Copyright Act of 1976. So it's uh-huh. been around for a while. Right. But, but if you're going to practice in the area of copyright law, you have to know like three different sets of rules. To order, to order to practice effectively in that area. I mean, if you're like me, you're like, wow, you know, when was it created? And then I'm going to go back and refresh myself on what the rules were in, in place there. So right. like back when it was, it was a wonderful life, if you didn't re-register or, or um, your your work, you could give up your rights. And, and there was a lot of, lot of things that did that. But of the new act, you don't have to do that. See, well, in this case, it's a wonderful life actually benefited because it was a movie that had actually bombed and was panned when it first came out and they lost their copyright. And because they lost their copyright, uh, all the uh, networks decided, well, it's Christmas time. We need something to air. This one's free to air and it's got a lot of big movie stars in it. Let's go ahead and put it on there. And because of that, it became the classic that it is. But when it was out, it was, yeah, it was a, it was a bomb. It didn't, it didn't do well at all. Like Zoolander. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is a great movie. Well, maybe they should let the copyright on Zoolander. They should just, they should just, they should open source uh, Zoolander and say it's free to everyone. Yeah. Well, they found a way to get Zoolander 2 out, so apparently it's doing okay in yeah, the underground market. Um, a couple other things I had, because again, uh, uh, even in podcasting, we're, you know, uh, patents and stuff like that always seem to crop up, especially in technology. Most uh, informational guest yet, right? Yeah, Easily I know, right? <laughs> We haven't really gotten off topic at all. Yeah, it's because I'm dorking out on the whole thing as well. No, but I mean, when it when it comes down to it, you know, um, I know we talked about this a little bit earlier before the show. Uh, you know, the the people who um, the patent whores, the the people who basically sit on a patent and uh, try to stop people from doing something that seems to be, you know, something we've done for years and years and years. Uh, we just had the podcast patent, uh, uh, what do they call it? Invalidated. Yeah, invalidated mm-hmm. because uh, a company was basically using it to sue NBC, sue all the big networks and everybody, and then start going after some of the little people um, because they had said that they had a podcasting patent, uh, which later would be you know, viewed as untrue. A lot of times what those guys do is they'll send you what's what I call a nasty gram, a cease and desist letter. Mm-hmm. They'll send it to you. 
you know full well to hire a patent attorney to dig into it, to look into it, and to defend you, you know, is going to cost X number of dollars, you know, and they offer to settle it something short of that. Right. Because they know that strategically, you know, business expense wise, it's going to cost you less. We call it a, a nuisance value. Right. Uh, and so they'll try to settle with you for a nuisance value. Um, this particular one where they're going after the really big players, um, they were looking to hit the, the home run on that one. But a lot of these patent trolls you hear about, um, that's what they're doing is they're sending people out. You know, uh, a, uh, if you happen to be a, a company that sells a DVR with your product. Right. I mean, you're not, you know, a DVR, you're not Sony or anybody that's selling a bunch of DVRs out there. You know, you just happen to incorporate one into your product for whatever. They would get cease and desist letters from the, this person having this DVR patent, and they would want to settle for some nuisance amount. So that's 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 the classic, you know, uh, patent troll or non-practicing entity, some people call them. Right. Now, I guess the other thing with, again, with technology, it goes to... F- all new levels, all new heights. You see Google suing, or or, Google usually doesn't sue a whole lot of people, but Apple typically sues like Samsung. Samsung will sue them back. Uh, It feels like they're just kind of trading punches just to see, you know, who can win the day this week. Um, It also keeps them in the headlines. Yeah, that's true. It does. Yeah. But, you know, I had seen, what was it? Apple had the famous, uh, you couldn't have a rounded button, their gel button or whatever. I mean, does it really go that far? I mean, some of these things seem like it's, it's it such could. a the, weird the, small the, design the, feature. Uh, I, know, I know Apple had a, um, a patent on the ability to use your fingers to zoom in and zoom out. Right. Like that. And they, they, they have patents on those sorts of features. Apple does a good job on protecting the, uh, the look and feel of their, their products, too. Right. I think some of the Samsung Now, is that patents, patent or... Uh, or is that something else? Is, well, you can it, trademark it, a you look can, to something, you, you correct? You can. There's, there's, there's overlap between these various areas of IP. You can get what's called a design patent on the, the, look, the look of something, the ornamentation, mm-hmm. the aesthetics of it. Um, but at the same time, if your product, over time, people start associating the shape of, of, of your, your product with the company, then you can get what's called trade dress on it, which is a subset of trademark. Like a Coke bottle. Exactly. That's the example I give all the time is the Coke bottle. Um, So sometimes the strategy is you'll go out and get a design patent on, you know, your product. Design patents are good for 14 years. And over that course of the 14 years, people start associating that shape of the package with your company. The patent expires, but somebody else can't come in and use that shape because you now have trademark-like protection on Right. Now, when it comes down to, I guess, um, I don't know, I guess in the technology world, again, it kind of feels like due to all these patents and all these stipulations, I know, I think Apple is the only one that if there's a phone number on the screen, you actually can click it and it'll immediately dial the phone. Whereas with Android devices, I believe you have to click it, it goes to a separate screen, and then it finally dials. Um, you know, small things like that. It feels like after it gets all racked up and there, and there's such minor changes over a device that's only around for a year or two before something else replaces it and it keeps going. Like how do you feel like any of these patent type things wind up, uh, I guess, hurting, uh, overall the ability for us to grow and move on and do bigger and better things because everybody can't use that technology or use that. I think some companies and, you know, I don't work for Samsung or Apple or thing like that, but you know, I think they come to the realization that if they were to sit there and clear every one of their products against every patent that's out there, 
they'd never produce a, a product. Right. So what they do is they just trudge forward and they say, hey, look, all right, you know, we're going to get sued. We'll build that, build that into our, our cost of doing business. And they just, you know, move forward. And that's why you have Samsung suing Apple and, and Apple suing Samsung because, you know, they may or may not have been aware of the other guy's uh, patents. A lot of times the patents don't come out until your products are already released. So you didn't even have an opportunity to know about it. Yeah, right. it takes a long time. I mean, I'm eight years in and patents are just now issuing. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not a, it's, it's not, not a, it's not a fast process. So I think I mean, some, to your point, mm -hmm. yeah. Some businesses are big enough that they can get away with that. Other ones are so small that the patent owners don't care unless you're dealing with one of these non-practicing entities. The nice right. way of, of, of dealing with they're called patent trolls. Well, we got uh, patent trolls. I like that. Yeah. The um, our our patent attorney. So bottoms up. Uh, there were two other bottom filling technologies that hit the patent office at about the exact same time as bottoms up. Um, both of them had priority over bottoms up. Um, thankfully they were ideas that wouldn't work, uh, weren't a means to be able to do it. But, um, I saw the first video online and they had released it before ours had been released. And I called my patent attorney and I'm freaking out. I mean, we're still working out of a two car garage at this point. I'm like, this is the worst day of my life. And he said, slow down, pump the brakes. Um, odds are it is not, it's not the same thing. Like likely a lot of things will look the same, but when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, it's not the same. I'm, you know, accomplishing the same thing, but done completely different. He was right, 100% right. Um, but he said a little piece of advice that I carry with me today when I was talking about doing it with commerce, um, when we're talking about battling the guys in <laughs> Romania. He said, it all comes down to the person that can make the most money at the end of the day anyway. So if your idea makes more money and you make more money and you have a better idea commerce-wise, you win. Well, that's, and it's that's it. often been shown that first to market doesn't always work. I mean, I think yeah, it doesn't, that doesn't mean anything. Was it Friendster or whatever it was, was before MySpace, was before Facebook, and it wound up, you know, they each kind of got their own little fame and level area where they were succeeded, but for the most part, Facebook wiped them all off the market. Um, it, it just, the concept was too early. People weren't ready for it yet. And uh, I often find that that's, that sometimes supersedes patents and trademarks and everything else. Yeah, there's a lot to it. I mean, patents are just a tiny little piece of the big puzzle that is, well, is what we're doing. You know, it's. But how often uh, do companies, do you think, miss an opportunity when they could license out their technology? Like uh, going back to even Betamax and uh, VHS, See, Sony no, had, Sony I, had I, control I, of I, beta. I think that's a... Um, I, I think you're right. I think sometimes people, I mean, a patent gives you the the exclusive right to do something. Uh, it gives you the right to exclude other people from doing it sometimes. Right. And people latch onto that. They hear patents are a monopoly. Well, they don't have to be. You know, um, I've, I've counseled clients before that if you've got a competitor that is out there using your technology, you know, look at it as, you know, if, you know, how many sales are you potentially losing to that competitor because they have a feature that you're doing well turns out a lot of times they aren't really they yeah they sell a similar product but you're kind of the premium product and they're the lesser product you know and so if you go and shut them down from you know not using that feature how many sales are you really going to gain from doing that right probably not many so aren't you better off just licensing your technology getting a little royalty stream coming in from it and letting them use that feature and maybe now they're going to sell more and that increases your revenue stream from that because if you go over there and beat them up and stop them from doing it, you know, 
you're really not competitors. Right. So you stop doing it. So you're really not going to pick up any sales from doing it. Well, and I mean, when it came down to the Sony case, they, they were beta and everybody else was using this VHS technology. And because uh, whoever came up with VHS first decided to go ahead and license it, and beta was technically, and it, beta was used in broadcast for years, it was the better, higher quality item. Nobody bought beta machines because everybody else was doing VHS. The market was saturated with VHS. Right. They beta, they limited the options that yeah. were available to there, and they probably had a price premium or something. Meanwhile, the VHS guy, you know, he said, "Hey, let's license it to half a dozen or how many people," and and the market got saturated. And you know, I remember the old days of going to the video store, and you could either have your your beta or your you know VHS. Right. And it got to the point where you know it didn't make sense to rate you know. See, um, so they got they got pushed out of the market. I, I absolutely. Then this is a. I mean, I, I like that the conversation went this direction because this is something everybody should ask themselves: Should I be licensing my idea? Right. Or should I be doing my idea myself? I, I, when I got started, I just wanted to license my idea. Right. And then I found out quickly that nobody wanted to license, license my it. idea. <laughs> and, you know, so I went down that path and still nobody wants to license the idea. I mean, I mean I've talked to Perlick and Micromatic and True and all of them and they don't want to license the idea, which has turned out to be fantastic for me in the long run. But um, it's, it, it can be a relatively difficult thing too. Uh, to get an idea license, right? I mean, you got to find somebody that wants it. Yeah, 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 and unfortunately, a lot of times what happens is these people get inundated or inundated, whichever one it is, you know, by people trying to get their ideas in front of them, and it's just noise. And so when one that's actually, you know, legitimate uh-huh. comes along, it's just part of the noise, and they just don't have time to deal with it. Um, but at the same time, it's also good that, you know, if you're an inventor you came up with a cool idea, you have to, again, recognize your limitations, you know, mm-hmm. Um, are you better off going to an established business, trying to get them to license it and do that rather than trying to start your own business and, and distribution and all that kind of stuff that goes along with it? I mean, some people are so married to their idea that they want to control it. They do that. It turns out they're not very good businessmen and it just dies. They, may, they would have been out better off licensing it to the extent they could find somebody to license it. Which and it is, which back- is it, it, correct me if I'm wrong or your experience is any different, but possibly a harder path than than doing it yourself in some regards. I mean, it's not, it's, yes, it's different, but it's not, and it's not any easier. I wouldn't say to, to license to it, to find somebody to license no, I, it. I, I mean, I, the hustle I, is just, as I agree. You would you, have, you've to got be, to be persistent. You, you got to be, you know, willing to, you know, be told no a whole a lot. lot. Um, and, uh, not get uh, deflated, um, on it. But at the same time, you know, uh, you know, if, if everybody's telling you no, 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 you know, at what point in time do you come to realization that, yeah, oh gosh, this really is not a very good idea. Um, but at the same time, if you're not persistent. The rule is if three good friends tell you it's a really bad idea, it's a bad idea. <laughs> it's a bad idea. You hopefully, so, have good, hopefully your friends are like mine. My friends are complete fucking dicks. So they'll tell you. <laughs> brutally you know, honest. They're really, man, they're rough. <laughs> but that's why they're my friends. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, right. I mean, there are countless examples of, of people that have, uh, you know, who, end up you know in a very bad state because they just had a bunch of yes men around them you yeah. know you don't want that do you watch the um do you watch the show silicon valley uh-uh. it's uh it's on showtime it's fantastic it, it, you would you hbo would love it. is it on hbo hbo yeah. shit it's on hbo you would love it yeah it's it's a uh, it, i mean i just glow when i watch it because it's it's well it's a comedy about a startup in silicon valley but it's so to the letter of exactly how it goes, <laughs> with so much uh, satire and 
um, they've got this Google-like corporation who's trying to steal all the ideas, and the guy's working out of a house, all sitting around the living room table, you know, doing code and stuff. It's absolutely fantastic. You should watch it. You'd really appreciate it. So, oh, the uh, speaking of trolls, there's this new <laughs> is there, there's this new creature out there called a copyright troll. Copyright troll. What copyright troll will do is they'll they'll go to a locale or, or something like that, and they'll take photos of famous landmarks in a particular location. So like they'll go to New York and they'll take pictures of the, the, the Empire State this building, the uh, Statue of uh, Liberty, Times Square and that kind of stuff. And they'll put it on their website. And they'll have a little copyright notice at the bottom. These are copyrighted. And they'll actually go through the process of filing with the, with the Library of Congress, which is pretty inexpensive. And they're just basically waiting for people to come in and copy and paste these images onto their own <laughs> website. And Google's got this reverse image feature where you can go out there and, and they'll scour the internet for that photo. And so they just sit around and wait for people to copy these things. And sure enough, they put it on there. You know, somebody puts it on their website. So they're like, oh, there's one. I see it on their website. They send them a nasty gram and ask for $3,000. That's Getty Images right there. Yeah. Getty <laughs> is, I mean, that's one of the things that, um, when I was uh, web director for the radio stations, we absolutely had to watch out for because Getty, Getty gets the small people, but when it comes to the big people, we could look at a twenty thousand, forty thousand dollar bill because again, it's for every instance that you use the image yep. in every different way, and how many people have accessed that. You know, I mean, it can get it can get up there. Yep. And uh, we had to be very, very careful. And I know a lot of people aren't. In fact, we had several stations. Um, uh, slightly after I left, several stations get in trouble for that and got sued for quite a large sum. Now, I know a lot of times if you fight it, uh, it's hard to hold up. I mean, it could still, you know, it could still bring you to court, but sometimes Getty's not really going to, especially for the small guy, he's not going to go, uh, Getty Image is not going to go for the small guy if you fight it. But if you don't fight it, you're definitely looking, you know, at least $800. Uh, I know a website I work for, or, you know, put together they got one and it was something that I thought I had purchased and I was sure I purchased, but I couldn't prove that I purchased. And therefore we wound up getting hit with, I believe $800. So it's, it's a thing. Yeah. I mean, you just gotta, you gotta be careful. I mean, it's the, in what I call it today's cut and paste, you know, right. Mentality that it's yeah, just, do it all the time. Google an image, copy. It's paste just it in the so easy to do, especially, I mean, what's that? Bloggers are huge for doing that because again, they have no money. They're just out there writing their thoughts down on their personal blog and, it's out there for the world to see, and if they can find it, then you're yeah. you're in trouble. Yeah, there's no magnets out there with copy pasted images on them. <laughs> None. <laughs> I've not made thousands of them ever. <laughs> that's good. That's that's hard to Google. You can't Google so, search one of the magnets. No, no. that's that's, that's hard right. to do. Exactly, unless somebody takes a photo of it. Yeah. Oh, yes. so. But even then, I think the magnet's small enough and kind of screws with the image enough that you might be okay with a picture taken yeah, of it. Well, well. I was going to say, hard copy stuff is actually easier to get away with stealing than online stuff. Electronic copy is yep. difficult because Google Images will find it. Yep. Yeah, I should probably get my graphic designers an iStock account or something. Exactly. <laughs> Just get out of that. We're big enough, it doesn't, it's it probably not worth messing with. Well, awesome. I, I, I can't think of anything else. Can you? Not really. I think we covered a lot of it. I mean, we got through the steps of, you know, how to get a patent started. Uh, what Wait, logo, you, patent or trademark? 
or Lo- copyright. Logo can be both trademark and copyright. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> because whoever came up Damn with it, the, really opened a can of worms. <laughs> whoever, whoever came up with whoever came up with the graphic itself, they have a copyright in that. But then you can get turn around and get protection to prevent other people from using that logo to indicate, you know, as an identifier of their company or their product as well. So you, you can have protection on both of those. Okay. So okay. I get asked that a lot. Did you copyright that? I'm like, no, I, no, I patented it. <laughs> your logo? Yeah, you want to. No, makes no, me no. The, the invention. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that makes me cringe. Did you copyright? Did you, did your you copyright your idea? Mm-mm. It just makes me cringe. <laughs> yeah. So. Me too. Yeah. Along with, the, have you been on Shark Tank? Did you patent my? Those are my, my three favorite questions I get asked are: Have you been on Shark Tank? Did you patent that? And how much money do you have? <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding? The last one was a little bold. I get asked it all the fucking time. You would be shocked. And I'm like, I, none, because I own a business. There's a right. Absolutely none. Seriously. <laughs> all right. Oh. So he, uh, you know what? I don't think we've ever approached the uh, number two before. What? Uh, we've never, a- we never actually pushed back on the Shark Tank thing. Would you ever go on Shark Tank? I can't because I'm a convicted felon in the law. They've asked me to come on oh, three really? times. And the... the uh, it says in the the what show is what network is it on NBC NBC I think yeah NBC uh, has a, a stipulation that no convicted felon can show appear on film on the thing and we're like well wow. Josh has a record this is the story blah 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 and they're like well someone else can come on and we're like nah not interested so, <laughs> well it wouldn't be the same it, yeah it wouldn't be the same and plus I wouldn't I don't know that I would want to do it anyway I don't know this, uh, to me for you Shark Tank would be a oh shit the company's failing I need something exactly I think and that's when you would that. come yeah yeah I mean I've been in the real Shark Tank of actual investors of that nature right um, and I hate it so I don't know why I would go on TV and do it again because I'd you probably just, know it a little better now yeah but I'd be like no Mm-mm, no I don't want your money so it's just well they they say that's uh that's one of the things on Shark Tank that they've noticed is certain people will go on, ask a ridiculous evaluation, and they've their entire that. thing. The paperwork. Oh, really? Yeah, has a thing that says it has to be a reasonable, a reasonable valuation. All these things. I'm like, hey, because yeah, they were finding people that just wanted to advertise their product, didn't sure. want to take any money in. We've been uh, on Shark Tank Germany. I've, I've <laughs> I saw that. If I, I could remember any of my German, <laughs> I would. Uh, Translate. Yurig went on. He he turned down their offer, so that's good. I told him he couldn't take any money from him, but <laughs> right. whatever. Good publicity. They haven't caught on to that stunt over there. Wasn't there's the lion's den or something? The uh... yeah, uh, I think it's the lion's den. What's crazy? It's a can, it started as a Canadian TV show. Oh really? The Dragon's Den. Yeah. Dragon's Den. Yeah. Huh. Some of the same people. They added Mark Cuban for the U.S. But that's and uh, Damon. What's the oh Damon Johns? Yeah. Yeah. Seems like a lot of that stuff comes out of the UK, so at least on the entertainment. Like the Beatles, front. not like the Beatles. <laughs> like uh, was it? Have you, got talent? Have you got talent or something? Yeah, like the that Office the, and stuff like that. Oh man, Damn. the Office from the UK is so much better than the Office. So, and uh, Top Gear. Do you watch any Top Gear? Uh-uh. You would love Top Gear. Yeah, I got a couple things to binge watch now. I was gonna say, have yeah. they have they brought they've brought it back since they fired uh, what's his face? Didn't I? They? Haven't seen the new stuff, but yeah. I like that everybody quit along with him. That was really cool. He punched a producer. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you could get away with that in English. I mean. If you if you don't do anything else, watch the Reliant Robin Top Gear British the British Top Gear episode. It is absolutely we gotta put a link on this podcast to that. It is absolutely one of the funniest, most amazing things I've ever seen. The so the Reliant Robin is a three wheeled car. 
that they made in like Russia or something for miners to get around in. And it tips over because it's a three-wheeled <laughs> yeah, car. Right. Kind of like the old three-wheelers they used to have here in the States. Exactly. Oh, yeah. They're outlawed it's, for some odd reason. I it's, only crashed one or once or twice. <laughs> three-wheelers are very dangerous. Yeah. They are. <laughs> That's why they got the new three-wheelers where the wheels, the two wheels are up front, front. They flipped and the them and it back, mm-hmm. actually kind of works. Yep. Yeah, it's like a snowmobile on wheels. Yep. Yeah. Well, awesome. Great. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome. I think we covered a ton of awesome stuff. This has been one of the funnest episodes I've been a part of. It's been one Good. of the most mellow episodes. Wait, I've been a part of all the episodes. <laughs> I haven't yelled at anyone. <laughs> this is great. He hasn't even drank a whole beer. I've only had one and then two, maybe. <laughs> well, but it's like three normal beers, so. It's like five normal beers. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right. I know this will come as a shock to you, but that panel at the library, I think that was the first time I'd ever been on a panel and I heard the F-bomb dropped a couple of times during the panel. Did I say the F-word during the panel?